0: Thank you. Welcome to New City if you're new. Welcome back if you're family. And it's not really a place or a church. We're just a gathering. We're gathering as family today to celebrate Jesus. So that's that's a cool thing. Someone asked me today, even this morning, hey, when you get back from going to church, I want to give you a call and talk. And I say, hey, wait a minute. I am the church. Amen. We are the people of God. We are called into His family. And our identity, we're numbered with with Jesus as family, brothers and sisters, heirs with Jesus. So, welcome to gathering together to celebrate with us. Um, I'm really kind of excited today to talk about, or to get back into the book of John, and today we're gonna to be getting into we kind of went through a bit of the, the book of John this past summer and into the fall and we kinda of paused at the end of chapter four. So today we're gonna to be starting back up in chapter five. And I um, kinda of wanna just take a minute and look back and see where we left off. Is that cool with everybody? I don't know if we're waiting for people to drop their children off to come back, but, so I'm kind of stalling a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so, really the book of John is a look at the life of Jesus, right? And we kind of left off in a place where Jesus was traveling around the region in and then around Jerusalem. And he was performing miracles. He, he was calling disciples to himself, showing them about the kingdom of God. Very tangibly and spiritually showing people this is what God's kingdom is like, right? We saw him perform miracles, like turning water into wine. Um, we saw him go into the temple and clear the temple of the money changers in a in a righteous anger saying hey this is not what this place is about he he demonstrates just a keen insight and knowledge of man's heart as we read each of the stories and we're going through verse four, uh, chapters 1 through 4 um he's kind of hung out with tax collectors and sinners and he's unpacked the gospel the good news about why he's there and they don't quite get it yet right because he's still kind of in the middle of of his ministry. He meets this uh, Samaritan woman at a well and he kind of reads her mail and he offers her living water. There's so much in that story. So much to learn. We see the heart of Jesus, right? He heals the son of a high-ranking official from afar just based on, hey, you said it so so it's going to happen. And today, we're kind of getting back into, we're, we're starting off where he left off. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. If you have your Bibles or Bible apps, or just good memories, turn to je- chapter 5 and, and John. We're going to be going through and reading and talking about verse one, verses 1 through 18. So, John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him get up and take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed." But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you were well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to read your word in a freedom, to have the freedom to do so in a free place. What, what an amazing privilege it is to have your word. I pray that our hearts will be cut today, that your spirit would would just reveal your truth, that we would see a picture of Jesus, and therefore of you, Father, that's glorious, that you would be made famous, and that we would be changed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) So I want to kind of set the scene to start off. Um, So Jesus is in Jerusalem again, right? And he's, he's, he's observing, participating in one of the feasts, the Jewish feasts. And the text doesn't really exactly say, Hey, this is the Passover, or this is this, or this is that. It's not clear, but it's not important at this point. Not for today, anyway. It might be very important, but I didn't study that, so I can't really speak intelligently on it. For today, it's not important to us. But it's crazy to me that he's observing a feast. We're setting the scene. He's observing a feast that he created to point to him. And he makes it a priority on this special, during this special time, to go to this pool where there are sick people and crippled people, people who are disabled, And it's this pool, right? There's five colonnades. It's by a sh- this gate called the Sheep Gate. And there's a pool, and there's just a ho- hordes of people sitting around the pool, waiting for the waters to be stirred up, so that they can be the first to get into the waters to be healed, right? And I don't know if any of you noticed how your Bible skipped over, or maybe if, if you have certain versions of this text. There's no verse 4. How many of you have verse 4? Anyone? How many of you have a Bible? (laughs) Who has verse 4? Brian, can you read verse 4 loudly? you go. So that particular instance in the Bible is kind of a later version. So the earliest versions don't have that. But there's some speculation here. In this scene, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He's going to celebrate this feast with the Jewish people. He's going to participate or observe it. He goes to this pool. Just suffering and mass casualty is sitting here at the pool. And there's speculation that, hey, typically there's this angel that comes and stirs the water and people get in. And he sees this man. And it's not necessarily important either that this story, this speculation about the angel coming down, that's not even very important. The important part is he sees this man. Look look with me again to verses 5 through 9. It says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up. Get up. Take your mat. Take your bed and walk. And at once, the man's healed. And as we see this scene play out, I want to talk a little bit about the person of Jesus. Because I really believe that as we read Scripture, it points to Jesus, and it points to His character. It gives us an understanding of who our Father is. It gives us an understanding of who our Lord and Savior is. See, Jesus has the knowledge of God. He has this divine knowledge. You see it in the text. He knows this man's situation. Does that just kind of gloss over you? He knows that he before the man said anything, before anybody told Jesus, he knows the man. He knows he's been there for thirty-eight years. He knows he's been waiting desperately to get into the pool first for thirty-eight years. And that every time, someone beats him to the punch. Someone gets there first. He's not able. He's not, he, physically, he can't get in the pool. And he comes back time and time again, hoping that, that he could be healed. Jesus knows this man's physical condition. He knows his life story. He knows his emotional situation. He knows his spiritual situation, doesn't he? Think about that for a second. How amazing is it? The knowledge of Jesus, that he knows this. There's a preacher named John Piper, he says this. He says, When you know Jesus, this is the kind of person you know. He's someone who knows you perfectly, he knows everything about you, inside and out, all you've ever felt, or thought, or done. Psalm 139 says this, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. So we see that Jesus knows us, right? He knows our situation. He knows where we're at. He knows all we've done. And you know the crazy thing in this little picture is that he's even interested in helping out. How many of you know some of the dark secrets of your heart or the things that you've done or even still do or the things that you've thought? How many of you know that you would be ashamed to stand in the presence of God, of Jesus, Jesus, if he knew. Well, he knows. And it's amazing here because he knows everything, and yet he pursues this man. We'll get back to that. The second thing I want to look at here, and I think as beautiful as Jesus is, is full of compassion. You know, it's funny, in light of his knowing us, yet having a heart full of compassion is is mind-blowing. You see, Jesus chose to go to this place. He didn't say, yo, Peter and Paul and John and Luke and Mark. Let's hang out in Jerusalem, celebrate the feast. And they went down to the gas lamp quarter and had a few beers. And oh, we ended up in the ghetto. I'm being careful. (laughs) Ends up in the ghetto where there's suffering and sickness and disease and crippled people and disabled people and brokenness. He didn't do that. He went to this place. He chose to come here. This is where he wanted to be. He didn't go to the synagogues or to the houses of the Rancho Santa Fe people to hang out with those well-known, well-behaved, well-liked, proper people. He went to this place where there's brokenness and sin It wasn't an accident. He wanted to go and fix broken hearts and heal sickness. It's wild because he asked this guy, he says, do you want to be healed? What does the man say? Please heal me. Yes, I want to be healed. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I've been trying to heal myself. Can't Does he say, Oh, I love God, I have faith to be healed? No. It's the opposite. He's he's put every effort into it. It's a crazy picture of, of me. I try to do what's right and stop sinning. He 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 makes up a story, he says, Hey, I'm I'm trying everything I can to get healed. And it's Jesus' heart of compassion that heals this man. Sorry, this thing is all over the place. So not only does Jesus know this man, it's compassion in his heart that heals this man. The same compassion that he has for you and I. Despite all our deep, dark secrets or the sin that we've committed that he knows about, his heart is broken for you and I. He wants to heal us. He wants to save us. And he knows that we've tried, right? So he knows everything. He's got an amazing heart of compassion. And the next thing, I I think the... One of the final things in this section of verse that I want to see is just how powerful is Jesus. Verse 8 says, Jesus said, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. We see this amazing display of God's power that Jesus fully possesses. When he speaks, all of creation responds and obeys at once, immediately. There's a sovereignty in his power that speaks to a different time. Let there be light. A different time when he spoke creation into existence. The same sovereignty, the same power is evident here. We see that Jesus knows us. He knows this man. He has compassion for him. He has compassion for us. And he has the power to act on our behalf, just like he does on this man's behalf. It's crazy because if the story ends right there, we could call the band back up and we could just worship Jesus for that, right? How many of you are amazed? And and, I mean, could we just stop right there and worship and proclaim the glory of God in that section? I know I can. I know my heart is just... I'm, I'm looking at this man, Jesus... And I'm thinking, man, this is incredible. He's worthy of praise. But the story, it doesn't end there. It's not finished. And it's crazy because John throws a, a huge wrench into the story. And he says, now that day was the Sabbath. So all that I just said, but, but it was the Sabbath that this all happened on. And it kind of gets, I don't know about you, but for me it makes me go, oh, 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 what's going to happen now? The Sabbath in this time is, uh, is a particularly special time. It's, it's, a, it's a time when Jewish law says you, you shouldn't work on the sh- Sabbath. You need to rest. God God set it up from, from the beginning, right? And, and the Jews over time had created all kinds of laws. Because, you know, God's law isn't quite clear, so we got to clarify some things, right? So don't work on the Sabbath. I don't want you to work. I want you to rest and enjoy my presence. Turns into, well, what's the definition of work? So there are hundreds of little extras in the, in the Jewish law that say, okay, Picking up your bed and walking on the Sabbath is against the law. That's considered work. So when the Jewish people see, the Jewish leaders see this man carrying his mat, they pounce. Verse 10 So the Jews said to the man who, was, who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them. The man who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. Well, who was it that told you that? He didn't know, did he? The story's not over, but it's not because there's trouble brewing. The story's not over because Jesus isn't finished with this guy. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're healed. You're well. Sin no more. But nothing worse may happen. You see, Jesus didn't just heal the guy to give him a physical healing. Jesus was after more. He healed him to holiness. To make him holy. The miracle isn't about the healing in that day and time. It was pointing to something more about Jesus and the kingdom of God. It was like Jesus saying, I want to conquer sickness and sin... I'm sorry, I want to conquer sickness to show you that I can conquer sin. He was after his soul. He was after his heart. He healed him to make him holy. It's like he was saying, hey, my gift, my free gift of healing came before my command to stop sinning. He's saying, don't turn from a life of sin, don't turn from me to a life of sin and judgment. And that's how it is with us. He raises us from the dead spiritually so that we might be free to live in obedience to Him. And he's still not finished with the story. In verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish people that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why they were persecuting him. They were angry. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and darn it, you're screwing up our laws. Right? And they were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was breaking the Sabbath. And even, even then, he even, he even went as far as to to calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. He, Jesus answered, let me say. My Father is working until now. And I am working. And at the end of this story, Jesus is proclaiming that God is working on the Sabbath. That He doesn't take days off. And He does this so that we might be whole. That we might have rest. And I want to close today with something uh, that I think captures this picture of what Jesus is saying in this story, and it's written by another guy, so I don't take credit for it. It's, it's a John Piper quote, but I think it's amazing, and it, and it just melts my heart. So I want you to just riddle me this. Play along with me. Close your eyes and listen to this. Okay? Okay? It's like Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's saying this to them. He says, My Father and I created a perfect world, a paradise, and then we rested. And not that we're tired, but we step back to enjoy this perfect display of our glory revealed in our creative handiwork. And that's what Sabbath is for to rest focus and enjoy God to enjoy me but you see sin entered the world and through sin came sickness and calamity and death and from that moment my father and I have been working again from that moment of sin my father and I are working again we've been working in many ways that you don't even understand to restore a Sabbath paradise to the universe. We have been working to overcome sin and sickness and death. And even your own law, which contains the Sabbath command, was part of our working. We set that up to conquer sin and hold back the miseries of unrighteousness and point you towards the Messiah, towards a Savior who would come and restore all things. When I heal a man and intentionally do it on the Sabbath, I'm showing you something about myself. What was happening at the Pool of Bethesda was that my father and I were revealing the world that is coming. It is a world in which there be no sickness, a world where there will be no sin. That's why I said, My Father is working until now and I am working. You see, when Jesus says will certainly seal his death. In their eyes he's committing blasphemy. moves him closer in, in the narrative of his life. It moves him ever closer to the Sabbath that comes with the cross. He does it on the Sabbath, not to clear up what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, but to show them that he is the creator and ruler of the universe. And it was never meant to be the way that sin had made it. So it's, it's a beautiful story of the, just the sovereign knowledge and the compassion and the power of Jesus. But it gets more beautiful because it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus is restoring true Sabbath. And in the cross, which we're going to celebrate in a second here, we're going to celebrate and remember the ultimate act Of Sabbath rest. So as we finish, I want to encourage you guys that you have a Savior who who knows you. He knows the innermost details of your heart. He has compassion. We sang some songs today about His compassion. I would run a thousand miles and I thought exactly what you were saying. I thought, man, I'm singing this to my Father in Heaven, my, my Lord and Savior, but He's the one that actually does it. He's the one that's actually keeping the promise of the song. He's compassionate, and He's powerful, and He does act on your behalf, so much so that He went to the cross on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for blessing us with this scripture, with just another glimpse of our beautiful Savior who loves us, who has compassion on us. Thank you that you are restoring all things and that by Jesus' death on a cross, You've paid for sin's penalty once and for all. And that Jesus' life and death have pointed to a day and a time when there will be no more sickness. There will be no more suffering or death. And there will be Sabbath rest the way you intended it. Where we will be able to enjoy you Father, You, Lord Jesus, You, Holy Spirit. I pray as we go today that we would celebrate life in light of what You've done and that it would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to come and take communion.